Hi, I'm Gary, and this is EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at charging etiquette. Now that EVs are becoming more and more ubiquitous, we need to make sure that chargers are being used in the best and most equitable way. This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. Before we start, I wanted to let you know that today's episode is slightly longer than the normal ones I do when it's just me talking, but it's an important topic and I think it deserves having time devoted to it. You might want to skip this episode until you've got a a good chunk of time to devote to it. Our main topic of discussion today is charger etiquette. Now, I've told this story on the podcast before, but I'll tell it again because it highlights a specific point I want to make. I was on a long-distance journey recently, and I stopped at Donington Park Motorway Service Areas to use the new GridServe electric highway units. There were two there. One had a Mercedes EQA on it, and naturally that was the one that had the Chadmo connector, so I couldn't charge. The other unit was CCS only. When I checked the status of the EQA, the car had been there almost 50 minutes already, and was ticking along very nicely at 94% state of charge, pulling something like... 14 kilowatts. I plugged in and initiated my charge, which you can do on the ABB chargers, but naturally it wouldn't actually start charging until the EQA had stopped. And when the owner finally came out, I asked why she charged past 80% and she said she was going on a long journey. Now here's where etiquette comes into it. With a large battery EV such as the EQ series, the charge speed when it gets to 80% will start to drop down drastically. When I told her it would be quicker to stop at 80% and head off because she'll charge quicker at another charger closer to a destination. She gave some excuse about why she couldn't do it, but it does show that this is one of those reasons why etiquette at a charger is vitally important. So let me put it into a fossil fuel context. You would rarely, if ever, think of turning up at a petrol station and parking your car in front of one of the petrol pumps and leaving it there without filling it up. You wouldn't consider going to a pump that someone else is using, stopping their refueling and putting that petrol pump into your car because you were in a hurry. Likewise, you wouldn't think about parking your car in front of one pump, but pulling the hose from another pump across to your car, thereby thereby blocking both the pump you're parked in front of and the pump you're using. But these are all things that can and do happen with electric vehicle charging. So today I'm going to go through a few of the charging etiquette rules. We talked briefly about charging etiquette way back in episode 23, but with the increase in chargers, the increase in drivers and the increase in issues, I thought it was best to revisit this topic. More so because it's become a hot topic in EV circles as more and more people have experienced issues. So what are the main items to consider? Let's start with unplugging other cars. This has never happened to me, thank goodness, but there have been instances of people arriving at charges and unplugging cars that are already plugged in so that they can charge. This is a definite no-no. With most cards, the device will lock the charge cable into the car when you start charging, so the only way this can be changed is to stop the charge manually. With units such as Instavolt, Osprey Charging and BP Pulse, you can't stop the charge without using the method of payment that was used to start the charge. But with some units, such as the new GridServe chargers, charging can be stopped merely by pressing a button on the unit. That will release the cable on many cars. So imagine you're in a motorway service area, getting a coffee or having a pee, and when you come out, you find the car which you'd left charging a few minutes ago has now stopped, and the vehicle next to it is now charging using your cable. It's a bit of a nightmare. I mean, there's always an excuse for people who do it. Oh, I saw you were above 80%. Oh, I'm only going to be 10 minutes. It's an emergency and I couldn't wait. I mean, these are all legitimate reasons why one charge might need to be stopped and another started, but none of this should happen 
before having a conversation with the individual who was already plugged in and is charging. In the story I told at the start of the podcast, it would have been really easy for me to just stop the Mercedes charging, initiate my charge and take over the charger. I mean, she was pulling 14 kilowatts at 94% state of charge and it was a grid serve charger that can be stopped with a press of a button. But I didn't because I don't know the circumstances of that particular person's journey. I don't know what her needs are in terms of the next destination. I didn't know whether she'd been educated about charge curves and similar things. But most of all, I didn't want to be in the situation where, if the roles were reversed, I came out to find my charger being hijacked by someone else for purely selfish reasons. Don't ever unplug someone else's charger while it's charging. However, if you come across a charger which is plugged in and the vehicle is not charging, that's a different matter. There are several makes of vehicles that will automatically unlock the charger when the charger stopped, the ID range and the e-tron range are some, as well as the early leafs. And this allows you to remove the cable and use it for your own charge. It is a legitimate move to remove the cable from a car which is at a charger and is not charging, if you can do it. Which brings me on to the next piece of charger etiquette. Don't park your car at a charger and not use the actual unit itself. This tends to fall into two different and distinct categories. There are those who think that an EV space in a car park, whether it's at a rapid charger or in something like Meadowhall, where there are rows of the uh, fast chargers, seven kilowatts, is for the use of their EV. This means it is effectively a parking space. They pull up, see the EV symbol on the ground, park, lock up and leave. This is wrong. EV spaces at chargers are exclusively for use by those who are actually charging. Then there are the other ones, the sly ones. They pull into the parking spot, plug their vehicle in it as if they're about to charge, and then they leave. They have no intention of charging, but they merely wanted to use the parking spot and give the impression that they were charging. This is wrong for two reasons. Firstly, it means they're taking up a place where someone else might easily have been able to charge. And secondly, they're blocking a charger from being used by someone else who might have been able to park in an adjacent parking spot and use the lead, but now cannot do that because the gable is locked to the car, which is not charging. Don't do this. Uh, as if the segues in this podcast are writing themselves, we now get to a related topic from our last entry, which is leaving your car plugged in when the charge is finished. If you've ever visited the BP Pulse charging hub at the Coachway in Milton Keynes, you'll be aware that the local council, who come for electric vehicles in a big way, have a number of Mercedes e-Vito vans which they use around the town. They have an agreement with BP Pulse, which allows them to charge at their units. The Vitos have a moderate charge speed, but no rapid charge capability. On the BP Pulse units, they can be refilled in about five hours. This means that they'll be sitting using the AC chargers for quite some time. They'll be getting about 22 kilowatt charge speed though, which is better than some FEVs on the same unit. Now there's a whole discussion to be had regarding whether 22 kilowatt charge speed is appropriate for a quote-unquote rapid charger and whether the vans should be allowed to use them for that period of time and that's a topic for a different podcast episode. But what is important is that once the vans are charged they're removed from the units and parked on the regular parking slots which are provided. This obviously frees up that charger for the next customer. It's the same when you stop at, say, an Osprey unit and a Marston's pub and go for a meal. If your car is charging while you're eating and you're a leisurely eater, you may find that the charge is complete before your meal is finished. It's proper etiquette to make sure you move the car away from the charger as soon as the charge is completed. This means you need to be doing one of three things. One, checking regularly on the status of the charge by going back to the vehicle at different points. Two, using a vehicle app, if you have it, to check the state of charge and act accordingly. 
or three, leave your contact details on the dash so that you can be called when someone needs a charger and you're not there. Any of these is an appropriate way to deal with leaving your car plugged in while off doing something else. Number four, blocking chargers by selecting the unit with CHAdeMO or CCS when you only want CCS. Now, admittedly, this is a bit of a niche thing, but it is important nevertheless. With the number of notable exceptions, I'm looking at UIONITY, most rapid chargers allow either CCS or CHAdeMO connectors to be used on the same unit, although generally not at the same time. But the way this is implemented can be different in different charge point operators. For example, as at the time of broadcast, both BP Pulse, Genie Point, Instavolt and Osprey charging have single units with both types of connectors on them. This means that if you're using the unit, you're either using the CCS or the CHAdeMO to charge and that's fine. But with their recent upgrade to the electric highway, GridServe have gone a slightly different route. They've installed multiple chargers at their locations, some of which are dual connectors, i.e. CHAdeMO and CCS and some of which are CCS only. We could have a long drawn out discussion about the pros and cons of CHAdeMO versus CCS in terms of the number of connectors at a given site and whether there should be parity or not, but I'm, I'm not gonna go there just now, maybe in an upcoming episode. What I will say is that if you drive a car that uses the CCS connector standard and you arrive at a grid serve location with two or more chargers, only one of which has a CHAdeMO connector on it, please don't use the CCS connector on that unit to charge your car. If a Leaf driver or an early Kia Soul driver turns up five minutes later, they'll find one or more units with CCS only, which they can't use, and the only unit with a working CHAdeMO is being occupied by a car using the CCS charger. I posted about this on Twitter recently, and follower, follower II Steve Jones II replied that he hadn't even considered this to be a problem, but he'll now be more aware of this. So thank you for that, Steve. Sure, as GridServe continue their rollout, the ability to charge two cars on one unit will be implemented. That means you could still connect your CHAdeMO and charge at the same time. But the power being pulled will split between the two connectors on the same unit and neither car will charge at the optimum speed. So give a little thought about which charge you want to use if you've got a CCS capable connector. Obviously, if you turn up to a two unit location and the CCS only unit doesn't work, as happened to Rob and I uh, on our thousand kilometer journey when we stopped at Grantham recently, then you have no choice but to use the CCS connector on the CCS CHAdeMO unit. That's not an issue. Number five, waiting in line at busy chargers. The good news about electric cars is that there are more and more of them on the roads every day. Tesla's Model 3 was the biggest selling car of any sort in the UK in September this year. The bad news about electric cars is that there are more and more of them on the roads every day, which means that there is a higher and higher need for cars to be charged while out in public. This can and does occasionally lead to queues at chargers. So what's the etiquette while waiting for a charger to free up? Do you queue for a specific charger and take that when it's free? Or do you form some sort of line and take whichever one frees up next? How does that fit with the issue I stated a few moments back with dual CCS or CHAdeMO chargers if you need a CHAdeMO charge but the next one up is CCS only? It's an interesting conundrum and one to which not many people, including myself, have given a great deal of thought. But with large hubs such as the GridServe rugby site already getting very close to capacity on occasions, it's probably about time we thought about a solution. In the big scheme of things, it should be a little like queuing for petrol. We already have recent experience of that in the UK with the panic buying of fossil fuels. What that showed is that a general queue for access to a site is often followed by a split as drivers choose a specific lane into which they select their pump of choice. 
With that model, obviously, there are various factors to consider, such as the side of the vehicle in which the filler cap is located, as well as the type of fuel, because not all pumps dispense all grades of petrol or diesel. Obviously, with EV charging at the moment, we don't have a similar situation anywhere other than at the electric forecourt in Braintree, where there are different types of charger and they're in a drive-through configuration, much like petrol pumps, rather than a drive-in configuration, like most current EV chargers. So the fossil fuel model would work at Braintree. But what about rugby? Well, there are numerous additional parking spaces nearby for waiting, and there is the ability to queue to get into the parking if needed. The design of the car parking there is quite well thought out. But what about, say, the Instavolt hub in Banbury? Well, it's not so easy there. The hub's in a small area with just a single access road and no additional parking. Of course, you can go and wait in the nearby Costa, but there's no way then of indicating to newly arriving people that you're in the queue. You could probably get a couple of cars waiting on the access road, but not too many. The beauty, of course, with so many charges at places such as Gridserve, Braintree, Rugby and Instavolt in Banbury and other Instavolt hubs is that the actual waiting time for a charge would be minimal. Experience with Tesla queues at peak times on popular superchargers indicates that 10 minutes is probably about as long as you'll have to wait. This is because people will come in at different states of charge, they'll need different amounts of charge, and while they may occupy a single charger for anything up to 45 minutes, the overall turnover of cars across all chargers will be quite rapid. Rapid, see what I did there? Number six, using a high power charger if your car only charges at 34 kilowatts. Now we get to some of the more controversial aspects of EV etiquette. A lot of these have to do with the difference between what one person sees as selfish versus what another person sees as selfish. Let me explain. One hotly debated topic on many EV forums is that of chargers being hogged by cars that can't charge at a fast enough speed to take advantage of the powers being supplied to the charger. Mainly this applies to plug-in hybrids or FEVs as they're called. This is the situation where you pull up at a rapid charger such as a BP Pulse or a GD Point and find a BMW X5 plug-in hybrid sitting on the AC charger pulling 3.7 kilowatts at maximum. He or she is going to be there for anything up to five hours. If that's the only unit at that location, then you're well and truly stuck. But there's a related aspect to this which will become more and more relevant as the charging speed of charge units increases. We already know that ABB are producing chargers that can charge at 350 kilowatts maximum. With the Porsche Taycan and equivalent vehicles, this means they can get away from a charger a lot sooner than on a 50 kilowatt charger of a few years back. But a Nissan Leaf, a BMW i3 or a Mazda MX-30 isn't going to be able to take advantage of that sort of charging speed. They'll pull 44 kilowatts for the i3 or 34 kilowatts for the Mazda on average from a charger capable of delivering almost 10 times that amount. So is it right for slower charging cars such as that to use these chargers? Well, this is where we come back to the part about what you consider selfish versus what I consider selfish. If you were the driver of the MX-30 or the i3 or even the X5 plug-in, you consider it your right to be able to charge your car wherever you were able to, right? Likewise, if you'd paid £100,000 for your Porsche Taycan, and were forced to sit waiting as an MX-30 pulled 34 kilowatts from a high-power charger, you'd be rightfully ticked off. But the long and the short of it is this. Everyone has the right to use the correct chargers for their cars. We've mentioned earlier that Gridserve have changed the makeup of their units so that CTS is a predominant connector, not Chadmo. Does this mean that Chadmo users can't use them? No. But it means you have to think of the Chadmo users when selecting your connector. Likewise, if you're plugging in with a FEV at a rapid charger, you need to consider 
Is this the best use of a rapid charger? Charging a car that can easily continue using fossil fuels? If there's no queue and you can monitor your car easily, then the answer is yes. But if there's a queue to use a charger and you're hogging it, the answer should be probably not. If you drive an i3 or an MX-30 or an early Leaf, which can top out at 47 kilowatts maximum at any charger, then you have as much right to use the 350 kilowatt charger as anyone else. But it doesn't mean others won't be annoyed. However, if you're in a situation where there's a choice about which rapid to use, such as in Braintree, and you choose to use a high power charger instead of a rapid charger, then that's probably worthy of some sort of comment. Don't do this. Of course, this issue goes away when you look at the chem power chargers Osprey Charging are installing at their new hubs. They allocate power according to the needs of the car rather than the ability of the charger itself. If you're a Porsche Taycan needing the full 350 kilowatts and you're sitting next to a Mazda pulling 34 kilowatts, both will get the maximum charge they need at the time they need it. And finally, in the charging etiquette section, I want to talk about charging for longer than you need. We've said many times on this podcast that charging above around 80% on a rapid charger is wasting time. My Kia Soul will automatically cut off at any rapid at 93% anyway, because it doesn't want to do that final bit with such a large potential power source. But there are those, and I'm looking particularly at taxi drivers here, who feel that they have the right to block a rapid or high power charger right up until their vehicle is completely full. Of course, they have perfectly good reasons. I mean, they're not being selfish, but they have a long distance to drive and wouldn't want a customer to miss a flight from Heathrow because they had no charge left, right? And I'm not saying that nobody has a right to fill their vehicle to whatever charge status they want. What I'm saying is that if there's a queue of cars waiting to use the charger you're on and you're sitting there waiting for the last 5% state of charge and you know it's going to take another 20 minutes, probably time to unplug, move on, and top up a little later when your state of charge has dropped and that 5% will take 5 minutes, not 20. It's common sense and good manners. One thing that's been promoted on social media, and to me in particular for charging etiquette, is an app called Need to Charge. The concept is very simple. When you're charging and leaving your vehicle by itself, you drop a small plastic card on your dashboard. That card sends people to the Need to Charge app or website. Anyone wanting to use the charger can then use that as a means of securely messaging you to ask how long you'll be charging for. Imagine pulling up at a motorway service area such as Donington Park to find both chargers busy with both vehicles unoccupied. One of them has the need to charge details in their dashboard. You contact them via the website and they can reply letting you know how long they're going to be. As a short-term solution, this is fabulous. It's free, it's simple, you don't need to do anything other than go to the website and tap in somebody's registration number. Couldn't be easier. The problem is, it's not a long-term solution. Or more precisely, it's a solution for a problem that shouldn't exist long term. While we're in the stage of still having single or at best double charges in many locations, needing to know how long someone is going to be there is something you'll have to keep an eye on. Having something like need to charge as a solution to A, let people know you want to charge and B, find out how long you'll need to wait is great. But we shouldn't really be in the position where we need to be asking people how long they'll be sitting on a charger. As the infrastructure builds out and more and more hubs are being implemented, they need to locate individual drivers and ask them how long they're going to be should diminish. Ultimately though, while need to charge is a great idea and a solution for block chargers, it is an app that should disappear as soon as possible. And that's a good thing. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. I'm a big fan of those YouTube channels where people convert a Mercedes Sprinter into a home and spend months traveling the world sleeping in exotic locations and living completely in about 80 feet square of living space. Not that I'd do it myself, but I like to see others do it. 
But the one thing I always had trouble getting my head around was the fact that they invariably used diesel engines to power both the van and quite often the batteries being used to run the electric items inside it, such as the fridge. So I was really happy to learn about the Stellar Vita. It's an electric RV which is equipped with many, many solar panels. These feed the 60 kilowatt hour batteries which can move the van 370 miles on a charge. But what's more impressive is that while stationary, the solar panels expand to 180 square feet. These can also be used to run the van itself, if not charging the battery. A Stella Vita recently completed a trip from Eindhoven in Holland to Spain, covering 1,200 miles using solar power alone, apart from a glitch at the start where they needed to call the trailer to get them moving. No word on the price, but it looks good, and I can see this being very popular in the US, where the RV lifestyle is a little more entrenched than in many other countries. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use with subscription plans for enhanced features, such as using ZapMap in-car, on CarPlay, or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingsEV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to become an EV Music patron. The link is in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? If you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings. That's ko-fi.com slash evmusings. And you can do just that. It takes Apple Pay too. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review, preferably five stars, as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and you're still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingsEV with the words common sense and good manners, hashtag if you know you know, nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know, he was always interested in doing various things when he was on the show. Obviously, you know, the EVs, e-skates, things like that. Now, I once asked him what his favourite football team was and he told me that's a topic for a different podcast episode. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.